Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. You know, uh, we have not just this campus and our online campus, but we also have a campus uh, all the way across town uh, over there in Ridgeland, Mississippi, right next to the new Costco. We had a church given to us uh, this year. And it's amazing what God is doing over there. We have two services there, uh, 8.30 and 10 o'clock. I preach at 8.30 live, and then uh, I drive over here. So if you live in the Ridgeland area or Madison area, Canton area, uh, I do preach at the 8.30 service there live. And then we stream the 10 o'clock service uh, from this campus to that location. But how many of you know, and like especially everyone who's watching at HICO now, the, the 10 o'clock service, that's what we call the Highland Colony Campus, HICO. Uh, because we're too cool for school, and we have to have a nickname for everything. Uh, so for our Heiko campus, um, for you guys, while you are watching a video, it is live. There is no kind of interaction where you are watching a past service. Uh, you can see me, and I can see you, and uh, it's an amazing thing what technology can do for us, and we're just honored and privileged to have you with us today, and I believe God's going to speak to us. Before we get, get into the message, you know, I think it's interesting to go back to the word of the Lord. How many of you know you have to war a good warfare with the prophecies that came out before you? That God doesn't just speak a word and have that word just be something that kind of hangs in the air. The Bible teaches us to take that uh, word and go to war with it. And one of the things God spoke about this season of life is it would be a season of new faces, new graces, and new places. And when the Lord gave me that word, for those of you who were in our church when I was telling you what the Lord spoke to me, the whole time I'm speaking out new faces, new graces, new places, I'm crying, like I'm weeping. The hand of God was so uh, on me, and my mind is kind of warring against it, because I'm like, new faces, new graces, new places, that sounds exciting. Like, that sounds really neat. That sounds amazing. And I don't, I, my mind is trying to figure out, well, why am I crying over this? Why am I this emotional over this? And God said, it'll come at the death of the old, that there will be the death of old faces, the death of old places, the death of old graces. And if I refuse to let go of the old, I cannot embrace the new thing. How many of you know in God, death is always promotion? I said, how many of you know in God, death is always promotion? As Christians, even natural death, we don't have to fear death. In God, death is always promotion. How many of you know to be with Christ when we die on this earth, to be with Christ in heaven? Uh, Paul said it's far better. So after death is always far better. In God, if something dies, what comes after it is always, come on somebody, far better. If something dies in God, what comes after it is far better. Jesus said, unless the, the kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it springs up with a new kind of life. How many of you know even when Jesus died, he didn't come back out of that grave worse? off than when he went into it. He came out with a new power and a new anointing and a name that's above every other name. See, we so hang on to past seasons 
that when they pass, we're still living in the past, forgetting that God is always a God of a new thing. How many of you believe, and I know in the face of uh, the coronavirus numbers rising and all those types of things, the Lord spoke to me back in September and said there will be a time of turbulence, like an airplane going through the sound barrier where there is all this turbulence. But once it gets on the other side, there is smooth sailing, like a rocket breaking through an atmosphere where there is all this kind of turbulence. At the end of that turbulence, there will be a breakthrough and a place of operating with zero gravity, nothing holding anything down any longer. And I see it in the horizon of time. I see, how many of you know, as Christians, we walk by faith, we don't walk by and I see the end of the coronavirus. I see God doing a new thing all in our nation. I see healing. I see miracles. I see signs. I see wonders. I honestly believe the best days for the church are right here on the earth, that we are going to see the gracious hand of God move like never before. And I want to encourage you that God saw this coming before it came. And, you know, I didn't know that new places would be our living room more than, you know, our workstations and all those types of things. But God saw this before it came. And I know that with the death of the old, it's always scary. But how many of you know, in comes the new. And when God does a new thing, he doesn't take us from glory to like way down here glory. It's from glory to glory, from faith to faith. God's a God of moving forward. And I'm excited. I'm absolutely excited because I know God is on the move all over the earth. Amen. Amen. Open up, if you will, with me this morning to the book of Luke. And I also want to thank you while you're turning uh, for your amazing generosity. Uh, your generosity flowing freely uh, to us is amazing. Our generosity to flow freely through us. Uh, just this week, I, I'm on the, the state board for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the director uh, was talking about how uh, they're looking to do a work in the Congo, and that particular nation has been just very big on my heart. Uh, we have been working strategically with missionaries in Kenya to turn Kenya into a sending nation. It's amazing. You go to Kenya. I've been three times. And when you go to Kenya, uh, you drive, and it's like there are churches everywhere. You feel right at home. It's like this is just like Jackson. There's a church. There's a church. There's a church. It's amazing. So that nation has been evangelized. And what we want to, to do through that nation is to equip and empower those believers to exit Kenya and to go into other parts of Africa um, and preach the gospel of Jesus to Sudan and Egypt and Libya and Morocco uh, and then also the Congo. And so just last year, we invested tens of thousands of dollars as a church into the Congo to establish a Christian base and a Christian presence. And so they start talking about the Congo and FCA, it immediately has my attention because the Holy Spirit's already kind of taken our attention that way as a church to that area. And they start talking about building a sports center because a lot of uh, the, the best ways, sports is a universal language. How many of you know sports is all over the world? Uh, so to establish a sports presence right there in the Congo that people will come to for their sports, but it's an FCA thing. So you have Christians there who are helping coach basketball and soccer and all these other things. 
And through coaching them sports, they begin to connect with them over Christ. And I thought, man, that's amazing. And so anyway, they said like all over the nation, people are looking to get involved in this. And Mississippi's part was $7,500. And so they're talking about this. And, you know, that's our part. Mississippi's part, $7,500. And I just lift my hand and, you know, the, the director calls on it. And it's like, we'll do that. And he's like, what? I'm like, our church will do that. He's like, come again? I'm like, we will do that, $7,500. We will give that to this, this." and he just starts crying. I mean, just crying right there in the room. So we played the part for all of Mississippi as a church. We came together and did our part. And, uh, you know, we were able to do that so freely and so easily because with your generosity, you give so freely and so easily. We don't pass buckets here. I'll never manipulate you into giving. I'll never beat you over the head and tell you give. You know, if you don't give, God will break your oven. You know, <laughs> you're a tithe, you're, you're, you know, tithe robber, you know, God robber, all those types of things. No, you'll never get that here. But one thing you will get is a sincere appreciation uh, on behalf of me and this church uh, that your generosity abounds and it helps us be strong in the lives of others. So from the bottom of my heart to our online campus, CBS, Lakeland, Highland Colony, thank you for your amazing generosity. Can we give it up for the person on your right or left? I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and this is cool. I get reports uh, and like printouts of people who give out of state. And we are seeing more and more people who are watching us online from out of state. Not just watch us, but also partner with us. So can we give it up? For, I mean, every, they, they don't even live in Mississippi. And they're helping us get the gospel of Jesus out. Amazing. Uh, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to look here together at verse number 54, Luke 22, and verse number 54. Then they took him, him being Jesus, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. I've got that underlined. How close are you following Jesus? Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, were set down together, Peter sat down among them. And a certain maid, young girl, beheld him as he sat by the fire, earnestly looking upon him, and said, this man was also with him. And he denied Jesus, saying, woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him, him being Peter, and said, you are also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow was also with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what you're talking about. And immediately while he yet spoke, the cock crew. Now watch verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he had said unto him, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Talking about moving from hurt to whole. And today, we're going to talk about the hurt of shame. Can you imagine this moment? Here you are, Peter. You have adamantly told the Lord Jesus that everyone else may forsake him, but you will not. You have committed to him that you will be strong when others are weak, that you will not fail, and you will not make that mistake. And not only are you making all of these promises, you are making these promises at a time and a season where it looks like Jesus needs those promises fulfilled the most. It's a part of his life where instead of the masses coming to him, the masses who love him are staying away from him. Abuse is coming into his life. Literally in this moment, he has a bag put over his head with grown men hitting him in the face, saying, if you really are the son of God, why don't you just tell us who hit you? He's being beaten with a, a rod with stripes on it that's got glass and metal in it. It's literally tearing his back wide open. Before all of this, he sees it all coming because he's Jesus and he sees everything. He's under so much stress in the Garden of Gethsemane that literally the capillaries underneath his skin are breaking and he's not just sweating. Have you ever been so nervous you sweated? He's not just sweating. He's sweating great drops of blood. I don't even know how that's possible to be that stressed. And of course, Peter, who loves Jesus, we got anybody in here who loves Jesus? Amen. Peter, who loves Jesus, comes to him in this condition and says, I'm with you. Jesus looks at Peter. He says, I see you denying me three times. And Peter says, I will not. Confident, bold. And here he is in the moment of pressure, in a moment of temptation. And not only does he deny the Lord, he denies the Lord three times. Do you realize that if Peter worked for me, I'd have to fire him? Do you understand? You understand that, right? Like, Peter, you can't pull out a knife and cut people's ears off and expect to work for a church. Peter, you can't yell at little girls. And the one translation says in this moment, he cussed them. Peter, you can't cuss, man. How long have you been walking with Jesus? But the deal breaker, the knife probably, let's be honest, would have been the deal breaker. But the deal breaker is you can't work here denying Jesus saying you don't know him. And of course, Peter knows this. To make matters worse, this is not an event that is escaping the eyes of the Lord. And we know that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. They run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So we know God's watching this very moment. 
God was watching us last night. God was watching you in the car. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. So we know that, but it's a whole nother thing to actually see the eyes of the Lord. And in this moment, when Peter says for the third time, I don't know Jesus, he looks over and sees his friend. Sees the one who has raised the dead in front of him. Sees the one that stood in front of Peter when he first was converted, saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, after he broke his nets and filled his boats with fish. Seeing that one's eyes. Oh, can you imagine? Looking at him at his very worst. What does God see when he sees you at your very worst? We don't know exactly what Peter thought, but you can imagine by his response. What was his response? He runs away as fast as he can. And the Bible says he doesn't just cry. The Bible says he weeps. And the Bible doesn't just say he weeps. He weeps bitterly. That word bitterly, when you look it up, means piercingly. Have you ever heard someone cry so loud it just pierced you? You ever seen someone cry so hard you didn't even know why you were crying, but you were crying because they were crying? You ever seen somebody in so much pain that your heart just went out to them because they were in so much pain that your heart got in pain and you didn't even experience the pain? You just saw how much pain they were under and so you cried for them? That's what this this word means. Peter's cry was a piercing cry. He's sitting here under the weight of his own mistake. It is literally staring him at the face. He thinks he has ruined his life. He thinks he has ruined his relationship with God. He thinks he's ruined his relationship with his future, that he can no longer be a pastor. He can no longer be a preacher. He can no longer be what God called him to be because he made a mistake. And he's crying so hard over it that if you would have seen him cry, you would have cried too. You talk about hurting. I had that in my heart the whole week, just hurting. Somebody hurting like that. Just just hurting so bad that if we could see you cry, we'd cry with you. Piercing. We got babies right now at the Lakeland campus who are giving us a tight, I'm kidding. How many of you are thankful for all of these parents who will bring their children to church? That Jesus said, bring me the children. There should never be any type of shame, any type of shame for a baby crying in church. Somebody said it'll grieve the Holy Spirit. No, an attitude like that will grieve the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Oh, come on somebody. God loves babies. crying so loud that if you would have seen him cry, you'd have cried too. Peter always fascinates me. He's given so much attention to in Scripture. And we know Jesus hangs out with a lot of people, but we we see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John be especially close to Peter. And I know I've mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating that I think one of the reasons why he spends so much time with Peter is to show us that he would spend so much time with someone like you. (laughs) 
<laughs> because Peter in Scripture, he's not just called Peter, he's called by a variation of three names. When Jesus meets him, his name is not Peter, his name is Simon. You know what Simon means? A reed that is easily shaken. It's just blown by the wind. Like the slightest little thing that happens on the outside, it moves it on the inside. That the slightest little thing in the environment that changes, changes, it moves the thing that it's around. That the environment is controlling the object instead of the object controlling the environment. Simon, that's what it means. A reed that is blown around, tossed with the environment. And when Jesus comes into his life, he tells him this, from henceforth, you shall no longer be called Simon. You will be called Peter. You know what Peter means? A rock. And not just like a pebble, a rock so strong you can build on it. A rock you can build a family on, something that is steady, something that is constant, something that is unmovable, something that's a bedrock, something that is strong, something that you would look at and think it can't be moved. Rock, Peter, that's who you are. And throughout Scripture, sometimes you see him called Simon. Other times you see him called Peter. And a lot of times you see him called by his double name, Simon Peter. Simon Peter, would you come here? Simon Peter, go over there. Simon Peter went here. Why is Jesus spotlighting Peter, Simon Peter, Simon so strongly? Why? To show you he'll do life with someone like you. Because how many of you know there are some days where we're Peter, man? You ever felt holy? Like maybe you even weren't, but you felt holy. It's like you felt real. I made it to church today. Made it on time, baby. Walked in, heard the first song. Come on, somebody. And you felt good about yourself. Stayed until the singing was over at the end of the service. Even gave a little bit in the offering. Have you ever felt like really holy about yourself? Really strong? Like really had like all your spiritual ducks in a row and like every eye dotted perfectly? today? Yes, I did. Didn't even pick up the phone to check, check Facebook. Yes, sir. I'm on a roll. Have you ever felt holy? Sometimes we are, Peter, man. Strong, baby. Can't get offended. Pull out in front of me. I'm going to bless you. You ever felt strong? <laughs> Peter. Yeah, God can work with Peter. You ever had other days, though? <laughs> other days where instead of, you know, pulling out in front of you, it's like, God bless you. You probably didn't even see me. <laughs> You're like, what is your problem? What is wrong with you? You ever been weak? You ever allowed the environment to control you? You ever sit back and wonder, why in the world am I watching that? You ever had one of those moments? You ever yelled at your kids and realized you weren't even mad at them? You were just yelling? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a moment where you were just weak, where it's like, why am I so frustrated right now? Why am I so irritated? You ever had a moment where like Peter walking on water, he sees Jesus and he's like, I am awesome. I am walking on water. And then all of a sudden you start looking at the wind and the waves, the outside, the environment, and you turn from Peter to Simon real quick. And all of a sudden you're afraid, you're nervous, you're anxious, you're jealous. That you're tempted to just give up instead of going to church, you didn't even watch online. Instead of picking up the Bible, it's been three days and all you've looked at is Facebook. 
You ever been Simon? <laughs> what about Simon Peter? You ever had a moment where you made it to church, but you were counting the lights instead of listening to the message? Like, I'm here, but I'm not. You ever had one of those moments where it's like, I, I, I am, I'm not yelling, but on the inside, I'm angry. Like Simon and Peter. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're strong and weak all at the same time? Where you're broken, but it's kind of beautiful? Why do we have Simon Peter in Scripture? Why does Jesus spend so much time with Simon Peter? Why are these stories in here? They're not in here to entertain you. They're in here to connect with you. That in Peter, you can see yourself. What does God see when you're Simon? What does God see when you see yourself and all you see is the very worst? What does God see when you said you wouldn't over and over and over again and you do it three more times? What does God see? What, what does God see when everyone else around you knows you have just made a huge mistake? And you know God does too. Is he mad at you like they are? Is he withholding you like they are? What does God see when you're not Peter, you're Simon? What does God see when you're forsaking him? I talked with someone this, this week, and this struck me. He said, I, I feel defective. I, I feel like I am a defect. Like there is just something intrinsically wrong with me. Because we have this tendency to take everybody and put them on pedestals and to see the idealized version of who we think they are. They have it all together. They don't have any issues in their marriage. They don't have any problems because all we see is through these Instagram filters the life of everyone else and we know our problems so intimately and we only see their filtered life that we place these people on pedestals and we think there is something intrinsically wrong with me because all they show me is their Peter but all I see is my Simon. And here's what is fascinating to me. We preached about this last week, about how the devil is subtle. He doesn't want to be seen. Because if he's seen, then you understand he's the bad guy. But if he's not seen, you'll go around thinking you're the bad guy. You'll go around thinking they're the bad guy. You'll go around thinking your kids are just going through a bad time, all the while forgetting that there is a thief. And what we looked at last week is we saw that the thief is woven through the story of every single biblical character's mistake. That it was not just them being bad, that there was a tempter before their sin. The first revelation of the enemy in scripture was that of a tempter. The tempter comes into the lives of people, and we see the tempter come to Adam and Eve. We see the tempter come to Peter. How many of you know Peter here was not just weak? 
Weak, undisciplined Simon. There he goes again. How many of you know it wasn't just him? Jesus is praying, sees this moment before it happens, tells Peter about this moment before it happens, and he does not say, Peter, it's because you're defective. He says, Peter, the thief Satan is coming into your life, and he desires to have you that he may sift you like wheat. You know what that means? To take away the valuable from the invaluable. To take away your Peter and leave you with just Simon. Where you don't see all the good stuff you've done, you only see the bad stuff you've done. You don't see all the times you've made it, you just see all the times you've missed it. You're no longer connected with what is valuable to you. That you are a child of God who is loved. You don't see God's love, you just see your mistake. You don't see the cross, you just see your failure. That you have been sifted. Left with nothing but Simon. That it was not Peter just being bad. There was a thief there the whole time tempting him. The first revelation of Satan in Scripture is that of a tempter. And when he comes to tempt, the Bible says, I'll tell you what he's like, he is subtle. Meaning, if you think you see him, you probably don't. He's where you don't see him. Because as soon as you see him, you'll understand it's not just you being bad, that there is a tempter in my life. And if I don't see him, I'll spend so much time trying to bring me under control, which I would ask, how well is that working for you? Trying to bring me under control instead of resisting the thief. Because if I understand there is a tempter and I resist the devil, he will flee. But if I think it's just me, I'll be frustrated with me instead of doing what the Bible told me to do. You're not that bad, Adam. You were tempted. You're not that bad, Peter. You were tempted. There is a thief. The first revelation of Satan is that of a tempter. He puts it in the heart of Judas. He puts it in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. He put it in the heart of Peter. He was trying to put things in the heart of Jesus. Eat the bread. God doesn't care. He puts it in the heart of us. There is a thief. The final revelation, though, of Satan is not that of a tempter. It's that of an accuser. First revelation is that of him as a tempter. Second revelation is that of him as an accuser. In the book of Revelations, they'll put it up on the screens for us at both locations. In the book of Revelations, they'll put it up on the screen. There we go. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which, notice this, deceives the what? Question, is it just you? See, the devil would love to make, it's just you. You're defective. Look at all these other people on their pedestals and look at you. See their Peter and see your Simon. And scripture's like, let me just give you a little hope. It wasn't just Adam who, how many, we like to blame Adam. It's like when we get to heaven, we're going to slap Adam for all that pain he he caused the world. You you know, I hear people talk like that. How many of you know, it's not just Adam who gave into his flesh. It wasn't just Adam who did something that he wished he could take back. It was Esau, it was David, it was Noah, it was Moses, all throughout the course of human history. And if we're honest, we all got to drop our stones because there is none among us who is without sin either so why don't we all just extend just from that little verse alone just extend a wee bit more mercy to ourselves because it is not just us he deceived too 
the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The first revelation of Satan is that as a tempter. The final revelation of Satan is that as an accuser. This is so interesting. You have Adam and Eve. He comes to him. He's like, it won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. Temptation. Temptation will always fill you with pride. You'll get away with it. No one will know. It won't hurt you. And this is one of his favorites. You deserve it. Have you ever felt like you deserved a blizzard? Like you just deserved it. Like I deserve cake today. I deserve this cinnamon roll. See, Satan will always come in and one of his favorite temptations is, you deserve it, Samson. I know God told you not to touch anything dead. I know there's a carcass of a lion right there. I know that honey, it's in the lion's mouth. Something sweet in something dead. I know God told you not to touch it, but you deserve it. You just like fought a big battle and you're tired. And his tiredness introduced him to his inner Esau of trading the future for something in the present. Because pain will do that to you. It'll make you talk to your inner Esau. And so he comes with temptation. It won't hurt you. No one will know. You'll get away with it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You're good. And then you do it. You commit the sin. And then after that, he switches voices like, how could you? How could you do that? Look at you. You messed up. God's forsaken you. When they find out about it, I know I told you like 30 seconds ago, no one will know you did it. But now that you've done it, when they do find out about it, you're going to be in trouble. You better run. You better hide the voice of accusation. Before sin, it's the voice of temptation. After sin, it's the voice of accusation. Before sin, it's like, you know you can, you can get upset and yell at her. You, you think about all that she is saying to you right now. You are justified. You deserve a little yelling yourself. Then you yell after it. It's like, you're the worst husband in the whole world. How could you talk to your wife that way? And you call yourself a son of God. After sin is the voice of accusation. And if you want to live well, and you want to be free, you have to learn to silence the voice of temptation, but you also have to learn how to silence the voice of accusation, to come in and know who you are in Christ Jesus. And you know why this matters? I'll close with this. Because Satan accusation in the life of Peter, in the life of Adam and Eve, and in your life and in my life, Cost them three things. Number one, man's connection with family. You see, Adam, come and separate from Eve. Did you ever, this, this came up in my study time this week, the principle of the scapegoat. How many of you, raise your hand at, at all locations if you, you've ever heard that term, the scapegoat. You ever heard sca, scapegoat? Ah, that's the scapegoat. That's actually an Old Testament term. And whenever they were justifying the mistake of the camp, they would bring two lambs. The first lamb they would kill because the wages of sin are death. So instead of like me dying because sin was committed, this lamb will take my place. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. So that was the first lamb. There's always a second lamb. 
And this is interesting. The second lamb they didn't kill. They just grabbed the lamb by the head, placed their hands on the lamb, and transmitted their sin to the goat. And it was symbolic that the goat has its sin on it. That sin is no longer on me. It's actually on them. Sin no longer on me, it's actually on them. Mistake no longer on me, actually on them. And then they would send the goat out of the camp. And while the goat is leaving the camp, they would celebrate. Because the sin is no longer in the camp anymore. The goat is now in the wilderness. And man has always searched for a scapegoat. Very first sin. Adam. Did you eat that tree? Whoa, 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 God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come here, Eve. Let me lay my hands on you. It was the woman you gave me, God. It's actually her. You ever blamed your parents for what you do today? You ever done that? Why? Have you ever blamed your wife for how you were acting? You ever blame? You just make me angry. I wouldn't be angry if you weren't making me angry. It's actually you who are making me angry. You ever search for a scapegoat? You ever wanted to blame something on a boss or blame something on a situation where we look for a scapegoat? It's wired in us. And God says, you need a scapegoat. You're just looking at the wrong thing. And God comes to man and Adam. And immediately, Adam feels so much shame that he's actually getting angry at Eve. But who is he really angry at? Come on now, who's Adam really angry at? When Peter is yelling at this woman who is asking him, do you know Jesus? And he's getting so, what? Woo! Why are you getting so upset right now? Why is he getting so upset? Is he really that mad at her? Who's he mad at? Exactly. Because your relationship with you, it'll affect your relationship with everyone else. That you can't love me any more than you love yourself. You can't love an enemy any more than you love yourself. I had a really, I had a day this week where I was Peter. You ever felt like Peter? Strong man. I, I came off preaching in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I'm, I'm there preaching, and I feel so connected with God, and I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit, and I'm preaching, and I'm teaching, and it's a beautiful thing, and, you know, get home, and I'm still resonating, and like all this time with God, and my daughter comes to me, and I can tell she's a little upset, and I'm like, what's wrong, baby girl? Why? I'm Peter, man. I'm strong today, and, and I'm on my best game. I'm like, what's wrong, baby girl? She's like, I broke a vase. I broke a vase. I'm like, come here. And I pick her up. And I'm holding her. I'm like, it's just a vase. You are more important than a vase. It's just a vase. Peter, man. You ever been Peter? You ever been strong? Fast forward three days later. I realized as soon as I got home that the work that I had left behind to go preach in Alexandria staring me in the face, and I'm busier now than I've ever been, so I can't walk in a room without thinking about fixing something or helping somebody or being somewhere because all of that time I missed, I have to make it up somewhere else, and my devotionals were a little less effective, and I'm not really experiencing the comfort that comes from Jesus, and I can feel the transition from Peter over into Simon. 
Simon. So I'm not quite Simon, but I'm not quite the holy person I was on Wednesday either. Like I can feel a little irritation and I can feel this frustration. And, and just yesterday I wake up and I make a bagel and everything bagel. And me and my wife had already had a conversation about how the seeds from those bagels go everywhere. So I had a plate like that I had opened up the bagel on and, you know, the seeds are on the plate versus the counter so I can clean up easily. And, and I, I put the bagel over in the toaster and I set the toaster and go sit down because the toaster takes forever. I'm like, can't we speed this up? And so anyway, I go sit down and my son walks down and he's still sleepy. He's on the front row. He comes down. He's 12 years old. He walks over. He looks like he's 16, but he's only 12. He, he's walking down, and he goes over the toaster, and he picks up the plate, and immediately it's like tipping the plate over, which is making the seeds go everywhere. And here comes, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, we just had to talk the other day. Like, it's a bagel, people. It's seeds, people. Why am I so frustrated right now? After it happens, I'm like, why am I talking to him this way? What is wrong with me? I'm not really upset with him. I'm just frustrated. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just frustrated. I have so much going on. And you know what shame does? It comes out. How could you talk that way? It's just a bagel. What is wrong with you? Which then drives you further down into a deeper hole. Because shame only wants you to see your Simon. And it never wants you to see your Peter. It'll cost you your relationship with others. It'll cost you your relationship with the garden. Here he has this beautiful garden. He can't enjoy it. Why? I've sinned. I can't run and enjoy it. Why? I've sinned. I can't really enjoy and dive into this moment. Why? I've sinned. It'll cost you. Where Shame, you can live in a house and not even appreciate it. You can be around prosperity and provision and not even see it. You can see peace and not even notice it because when you're in shame, it robs you of the garden God has given you. And lastly, took away man's relationship with God where God comes down with Adam and he's wanting to walk with him in the cool of the day. And Adam is no longer there. He fears intimacy with people and he fears intimacy with God because his mind is telling him, if you get close to them right now, he's not going to see your Peter. They're not going to see your Peter. All they're going to see is my Simon, so I better hide. I better not let anyone get too far in. I better not let anything get too far close. I'll come to church and I'll sing, but I not really worship because I can't let anything too far in because I'm fearing transparency. Because shame has told me I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of the garden. I'm not worthy of this. It's too soon to be happy. I just got a divorce. It's too soon to love myself. I just made the mistake. It's too soon to worship. I just sinned. And the voice of accusation keeps taking you further and further away from what Jesus died to give you. And it's all one big You know what cures shame? Knowing the answer to this question. When God sees you at your worst, and he always does, what does he see in you? What does he see in you when you fell? 
What does he see in you when you've made mistakes? Paul comes out with this revelation. It's called the in Christ revelation. It's what the New Testament is all about, that when the Father sees you, he sees you in Christ. And we know intrinsically that sin is worth punishment. And so God comes to us and he's like, I know sin involves punishment. But when I see you and you are in Christ, I see, this is big, not just a risen Christ, but a punished one. Do you know when God sees Jesus today, he sees a punished Jesus? Do you know Jesus still has his wounds? He was wounded for your transgressions. Let's look at Isaiah real quick. We got time. Look at it real quick. Isaiah. Surely he took our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Notice the phrase, the punishment that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace. Where is it? It is on Christ. You remember when Thomas said, I don't know if he really rose or not. And Jesus walks through a wall. Can you imagine? He's like, you don't know if I exist or not? Let me do this. Let me walk in the room without a door. Let me just walk through the wall. He walks through the wall. He's like, Thomas. He's like, oh my God, literally. Like, oh my, oh, Jesus is right here. Thomas, he says, come here, reach forth your hand. I'll get this. Reach forth your hand. He said, put your finger through through the hole in my hand. The Christ you are in. Oh, church, the Christ you are in today. He's not just a risen Christ. The Christ you are in, he's a punished one. Wounded for my transgressions. Bruised for my iniquities. Yes, my sin deserves a price. Yes, forgiveness cannot be free. Yes, somebody has to pay for what I've done. But it's not me. Jesus on the cross came and said, you know what I'll be? I'll be a scapegoat for every one of you. Every one of you can bring your sin. Every one of you can bring your fault. Every one of you can bring your failure. And you can put it all on me. Take your weaknesses and bring them to me. Take your weaknesses and place them on me. You bring your deepest, darkest sin and you come and you take it on me. When John the Baptist, oh church, when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the very first time, he said, behold the lamb which takes away the sin of the whole world. Paul came, oh church, Paul came in the book of Romans and Paul said, you want to know regret? I live with it every day. You want to know mistakes? I killed Christians. But he said, I want you to know in Romans chapter eight, I'm going to write this for you and I'm going to write this for me. There is therefore now no condemnation 
salvation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? Because he's not just a risen Christ. He is a punished Christ. And because he was punished, my failure was swallowed up by his perfection. My mistakes were covered by his blood. So for me to go around and act like I'm not worthy of his best good relationships, the garden and God is to absolutely mock the sacrifice that Jesus paid on that cross. Because he didn't go through it for nothing. He was punished. I said he was punished so that you could have peace. Peace with who? Peace with God. Peace with others. And you know what else? Peace with yourself. At the end of all this, Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says, do you love me? I love this. Peter's quit, man. You ever quit? He quit. He quit his dreams. He quit his hope. He quit Jesus, quit being a disciple. He's out fishing, sees Jesus, jumps out of the boat and swims to him. And Jesus pulls him aside and he said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. I know I've made mistakes, but I love you, Lord. I know I've missed it, but I love you, Lord. And he said, if you love me, Peter, you better feed my sheep. And that literally said a lot. Because from the first moment that Jesus met Peter, he met an imperfect man who told Jesus, depart from me, for I am too sinful to be around you. And Jesus said, you better stand on your feet, for I'm making you worthy. And from henceforth out, You will not just catch fish. From henceforth, you will be a fisherman of men. On the day where he saw God's power the most and had this dream of doing something for Jesus, this dream of breaking out of ordinary, this dream of running away from a life that he didn't really enjoy anyway, believing that God had more for him, walking with Jesus for three years, living with this dream, but now thinking that his mistake has separated him, not just from the love of God, but from the call and the life that God had gave him. And what Jesus was saying in this moment, if you love me, and you believe I love you? Why are you stop? Why did you stop dreaming? Why'd you give up on you? Why'd you go back to this old life? Why are you settling for something that is less than what I was punished for? When I gave you that dream, I saw you missing it even before you missed it. Because I didn't just give you a dream for your Peter days. I gave you a dream for your Simon days as well. That the dream is still there when you're Peter. The dream is still there when you're Simon Peter. And the dream is still there when you're Simon because this dream is not given by works. It's given by the grace of God. And I'm telling everybody everywhere, Jesus has made you worthy. Let's bow our head, close your eyes. All over the place, all over the world, I'm going to ask at the Highland Colony campus, 
for our pastor of that service, I believe it's Ryan today, to come up and give the altar call, the Highland Colony service. Here at this campus and online, if you're here today, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And today, I just want you to stay in this prayerful state. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out. We're going to end with a little song that's real quick. It's one that you probably don't know, but we're singing it to sing it over you. And while this song is being sung over you, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. I want to ask everyone to stay in this prayerful state because it's not always about you. It's about the person who's next to you. And you may not be wrestling with hurt today, but I guarantee you there are a lot of people in this room who are. And the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your heart. So right now, just say this prayer with me. And stay in that prayerful state. We want to sing over you. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I am not my biggest mistake and my worst regret. I am forgiven and washed because of a punished Christ. Jesus, you are my scapegoat. I behold the Lamb which takes away all of my sin. And just like In the Old Testament, they rejoiced when the scapegoat left the camp. Today, I invite joy into my life, peace into my life, forgiveness into my life. Because Jesus, my scapegoat, has taken away every single one of my sins. And today, Father, I receive your grace and I ask joy to fill my life in Jesus' name.